This is Asasi Podcast, enabled by Asasi Radio. The following presentation was previously aired on Asasi Radio. Jefferson, how are you? you? All is well. You make me actually miss the console, actually. Yeah, you, you miss know. it? Yeah, of course. Really? <laughs> this madness of waking up at four in the morning, you miss it? it? It's exciting. You know, uh, you know I, getting <clears throat> views of people, you know, talking about what is happening in mm-hmm. our country and all that. I think we should be very proud of ourselves. Yeah, that of part is nice. But yeah. if breakfast will be moved to like another time of the day, yeah, uh, preferably around 4 p.m. thereabout. That would yeah. be right? perfect. Yeah. That will be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to, how tedious it can be. Tedious. We are, we are, we are, we are very, you know, we're very depressed. Mm. Does he look depressed? Well, well no, at really. the moment, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, to see Jefferson. Um, you know, I, 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 it's funny that our time at multimedia, um, we never actually worked around the because same time. The time you were in Kumasi. Yes. Yes. I was away for a bit. And then, and then when I was making my return, you were only, in fact, I came back in 2015, uh, back into the multimedia family. Yes. And I remember that the weekend of the 5th of March, 2015, you were in town and on air. Yes. Um, and I was due to start work the following Monday. No, Tuesday, because the 6th of March then was a Saturday, so the holiday on the Monday. So my first day at work was then on the on the Tuesday. And those were and basically my also last days. Yeah, and then free, yeah. you just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now me, I've caught you. Yeah, here. You are um, deputy... Uh, yes, deputy director. Director communications. of communications at the... And uh, communication director... But you, me, I want to ask you questions. I'm very intrigued by what goes on in the corridors of power. So, um, f- first of all, what is it like uh, comparing your life working in the media and then working in uh, the communications uh, department of uh, the government? Mm. I don't think it is anything different. Um, Just that, I mean, you find yourself uh, basically in a space where you are supposed to propagate a certain agenda. Okay. Um, An agenda of government. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luckily for me, I happen to have worked also with um, then candidate Kufuado. Okay. In fact, all the way from the foreign ministry Mm. as media relations officer or communications director then. And so uh, working with him has always been something that has been very exciting, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing very well that this is a man who is a workaholic himself. Okay. Um, Waking up very early in the morning, he wants to know basically what is happening around the country, what are the most pressing and urgent issues that need to be tackled. And especially as foreign minister, his dedication um, to that particular duty Mm -hmm. was enormous. Because at that time, you also remember that, you know, we were in crisis all over West Africa. You know, yeah. the Liberian situation and the situation in Sierra Leone and all those things. So if you clearly remember the various piece of course that mm-hmm. were assigned uh, in Accra, the Accra 1, 2 and 3, he was basically at the forefront of it. So when you find yourself in a space with him, working at the Jubilee House, when he comes very early in the morning and leaves very, very late, in the night, sometimes in the early hours of the morning at 1 a.m. and all that, you have no option than to be dedicated to the kind of duty that you are entitled to. Mm, interesting. And so, yes, a lot of things happen at the Jubilee House. In terms of communications, we have various stages of it. I'm basically in charge of production 
at the Jubilee House. And so perhaps the videos, the, you know, kind of communication audios from the president, you know, his, his travels around the country and all that, that is basically what um, I'm in charge of. And then also you remember that I also have another deputy, uh, Kofi Japan, mm -hmm. who is basically also in charge of, you know, the party, you know, structure, you know, getting the information to the communicators on the ground to get things done. So in the Jubilee House, I would say that it is a very, very interesting place to work. Okay, so for yes. a moment, me, I like I like to tempt people. I'm going to speak to you as Jefferson, not as uh, as the uh, deputy communications director at the presidency. Uh, one of the biggest issues that uh, is is probably will continue to be front, you know, center and high on the agenda on everyone's mind and lips is the question of of, of press freedom. Uh, there's been as a Practicing journalist, or rather, former uh, journalist, and now communications director. But you, as a journalist, Jefferson, you've practiced over different periods, and now you're observing what's happening around us. What's your take on the the, the state of press freedom today in Ghana? I would want to start off by saying that we, you know, pride ourselves in a very powerful democracy, one of the most vibrant democracies in Africa. And to be a vibrant democracy, you obviously need a vibrant media, a free media. So it's quite questionable when somebody tells you, for example, that there is no freedom of press mm. in our society. So if there is no freedom of press, what do we have in our country? Um, if you look at the reports basically released by the, um, uh, that just came out, the, the uh, um, Reporters Without Borders. Yes, right? the Reporters Without Borders report that just came out. The, the percentages that we scored. We should first of all bear in mind that the context of this year's report is extremely different from all the context that we've had um, over the years. Mm. And also remember that we've actually been hovering around a 4% percentage difference um, from 2006, 16, thereabouts, we're doing 26%. That's right. We came to around 27 at a point, and the last reports, we were at 30. Mm -hmm. Now, if you introduce a new context to it, it changes the whole dynamics, mm -hmm. and that is basically what we're seeing. If you look at the context that is actually being introduced this time, the economic context. That's right. I mean, you and I know, as practicing media, you should tell me whether the media in Ghana today really does pay good salary or good wages. It is not happening. You have media... Oh, but everybody wants more pay. Exactly. Klosag wants more pay. Uh, the teachers <laughs> want more pay. Tewu, everybody. Yeah. In fact, Nanaya, don't you and I want more pay? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what, what we're talking about is, what, 500 cities or none at all in some cases. That's true. Mm. Uh, so. That's true. Mm. Yeah. And so when you have these kinds of things in place, mm. it changes the dynamics. It changes everything to the extent that today you have media houses or media practitioners who would go to, you know, assignments. You can see the number of media personalities lined up for solidarity, what we call soli. Mm -hmm. It's all indicative of the fact that the media really economically are not doing well. So the big question we should ask ourselves, how can we as a nation resolve that particular kind of problem? And then the digital migration comes in. Mm -hmm. Why is the West so powerful when it comes to um, uh, economics in the media? 
why are you know why is CNN paying thousands and thousands of dollars to their journalists to travel outside you know of their territories to come here in Africa and do the report that they do it is only because of digital television or digital media because you are in the house when you watch cable news network mm -hmm. you know you are paying either you are paying via DSTV or any other payment is taking place that's right but today media houses in Ghana Asasi if you have TV, a TV station today, you realize that basically everybody is watching it for free. Mm. Until you have commercials on the platform, you're not getting any money. And remember also, I mean, the times in which we find ourselves, commercial placement is very difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many media houses would have the target that they, you know, set that for themselves. It, it's very difficult. So I think the digital migration, which government is actually working on, mm -hmm. as we speak, the Ministry of Communication is working on, and very soon the National Communications Authority yeah. will roll it out. When that is done, it means that every viewership on your TV station or radio station, payment is coming in. Mm. And that is what is going to generate the kind of funds that will be needed, you know, to, to, to shoot up these um, reports that we're getting. Because in my view, I don't think the issues are basically that journalists are being, you know, chased all over the place, haunted, you know, imprisoned. Or I don't think that is the issue. <coughs> of course, there have been instances of mm -hmm. the death of Ahmed Swale, a very terrible situation that happened. Remember, that actually didn't happen <coughs> in, the, in, the, in the course of last year. Yeah. And remember, last year we scored 30%. So you should ask, what is pushing us to the 60 percentage point? Mm. Mm. And economics is actually what comes in. There are no subsidies from government to any of these private media houses aside, you know, the national broadcaster, which get a certain percentage. So, Inshira, that would be my point, mm. you know, when it comes to um, the press freedom in our country today. Right. Um, it's very interesting that you, you know, you articulate it this way. Um, quite a number of, um, a section of the media have said, okay, well, attacks on people. And, and, and one of the aspects of this is that journalists, you know, are not only doing their work by sitting in a studio or reading the news or doing analysis programs, uh, but that they also uh, do share their um, with their audience on digital media platforms like Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, all of these platforms. And, um, I mean, I've seen this happen a number of times. Um, where in my own case, I would write a post about an observation um, or share a story. And if you go into the comment section, it's like, you know, there's uh, an orchestrated attack by some people to just have a go at you. Uh, how much of that do you think may uh, have contributed to the score that we have as far as press freedom is concerned? I think it is important to know that, I mean, gone were the days where media was sort of a monopoly. Basically, when you, have on, you had only the national broadcaster mm -hmm. broadcasting. In that context, in that situation, communication is very easy. Mm. But when you have multiples, hundreds of television networks, hundreds of radio networks, it means that if in government communication, we need more money to put things out there. Mm -hmm. Because mind you, it was only GTV. So if you have anything to say, you say it there and the whole country listens to that's you, right. period. But that's not the case today. The existence of social media today has also changed the dynamics, which means that you can't even, as a government, control who says what, mind you. And so when those, when those things are set or put in place, it becomes very difficult for anybody to say, look, 
this is what this person is saying and so that person is being regulated by government in one way or the other mind you also in as much as you have an opinion to yourself mm-hmm. other an opinion that says that government is doing well somebody also has an opinion that says that government is not doing well but how do you censor all those things mm-hmm. it becomes very difficult today obviously because of the social media and that we find we we we, we have in the system today and so insura these are very very critical issues that we we have to watch i don't think it would be right for example for government to say that it's going to censor what people say mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is up to us as citizens of our country to be very responsible to what we say remember there are a lot of fake news out there today mm-hmm. and uh, of course i mean and you, you mind you that all these things would come to play in bringing the scores down because when the media get out there when people get on social media when people you know punching the kind of information that they punch in mm-hmm. whether it is true or it is not true it is very difficult to verify yeah. until you go there wonderful i mean um you you your work um puts you uh you know right in the mix of uh, very important conversations um whether you're a fly on the wall or you know <laughs> but you're there you're you're close to where the action is um at the moment everyone is crying uh, right now this morning we spoke to PURC yeah. about um how they're you know treating the uh request or the scenarios and the proposals that the utilities have provided now mind you Four prices have already gone up. Um, GPRT, you are also talking about, Charlie, we need to increase this. We need to increase our fares yeah. a little because the cost of doing business for them has gone up as well. Um, in your estimation, um, what, 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 is, what is government doing? How have you seen the progress in terms of mitigating the, the pressures on the average Ghanaian's pocket? Look, I think it is very important for us to think about where we're coming from. I mean, in fact, at the time when we took power in 2017, in fact, when the John Muhammad-led administration were leaving office, Mm -hmm. our economy was growing around $54 billion in its city equivalent. Um, Think about the the achievements that were chalked in the first few years of the Akufuado administration. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about 2017, 2018, 2019, and even in the latter, I mean, the early stages of 2020 before COVID hit, mm-hmm. it had grown to about 72 billion United States dollars in its city equivalent. What are we talking about? You're looking at 30 percentage difference. If you look at those kinds of marks, then it gives you a clear idea and make judgments for yourself. What has brought us to where we are as a nation? COVID. Mm. What did COVID do? COVID actually brought the world down in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Today, I don't know which economy is doing well. Talk about the United States. Look at the floor prices. You know, floor price per barrel shooting up one way or the other all over the world. It's happening. So if you ask these things, then you ask yourself, what are the immediate interventions that government took in the times of COVID? How much money was spent? How did government reacted basically to the situation? Mm-hmm. I always use this example imagine that you wake up in the morning you have one son one daughter he's not well Mm -hmm. you are left in your coffers about five thousand ghana cities you rush your daughter to the hospital and the doctors tell you that you need six thousand cities you know to take your daughter to surgery for him or her to be okay what do you do 
do you spend the 5,000 and go and borrow an, an additional thousand to heal your daughter or your son? Or you see and watch, sit and watch your, your child to die? Obviously, if you're a reasonable person, if you're very sensitive enough, you will know that the life of your daughter is more important than the money that is there. And so you spend it. And even if it means going out to borrow, you do the borrow. It sounds like you're justifying um, the expenditure, which has been called into question by a number of but people. But I'm, 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 I'm drawing a point. Okay. That is what you would do. Would you not do that? Would you rather see your son, da daughter die? I don't no, of think, course not. I don't think any reasonable person would do that. So you ask yourself, what were the interventions that basically were taking at that time? Mm. Look, the priority of the president at that time, when the world found itself in that situation, where people did not even know the kind of virus we were talking about. We were, the world was actually tracing and learning about the virus. You remember all the indi indicatives that came out? Mm -hmm. They said when the virus hit Africa, thousands of people were going to die on the streets mm -hmm. of Nairobi, yeah, yeah, in Accra, yes. and all that. And so it was a confused situation in one way or the other. But look at the interventions that the president took to the extent of providing free water, free electricity, some subsidized for those who were well-to-do, to the extent that you basically have to make sure that irrespective of the challenges that you are facing as a nation, you have to make sure that your education system doesn't suffer. Mm -hmm. Government spending about 1.9 billion Ghana cities getting kids back in school. Mm -hmm. Remember that Ghana is one of the very few countries all over the world that did not miss a single, a single academic year in the time of COVID. Mm. You get it. So it, 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 it makes it very difficult. I mean, when we put these things into question, of course, questions must be asked. Mm -hmm. Government is telling us, and I'm there because I see the figures and all that. You're looking at about 17.7 billion Ghana cities spent in the entire COVID period. That makes it quite reasonable, considering the fact that you've been able to save lives. Look at the, the number of deaths that we recorded in this country. One of the few in the world. Yeah. You're looking at 1,445 or so deaths. I mean, represented about 0.6% of the population. Whereas elsewhere, you have tens and hundreds of thousands of people dying. On a, in so you, the U.S. alone crossed yeah, a million? Yeah, the U.S. alone, it's a million. So I think it is important. Let's, let's sit down, think about where we're coming from as a nation. What needed to be done had to be done. Even in the midst of COVID, employment was actually still taking place. Look at the health sector alone. 58,000 or more people, health professionals. And mm -hmm. these are permanent. These are not, you know, you know, temporary staff that yeah. you, you're putting in and taking out. All those were employed, were employed in this country. Salaries had to be paid. In fact, the frontline health workers had to be sought after in terms of remuneration, salaries, increments, allowances, and all that. So I, I would say that, look, we, we know as a government, and if you want to measure the, the seriousness of the government, you have mm -hmm. to measure by you know, the things that the government is putting in place, especially when it comes to times of crisis. And for me, from where I sit, I will tell you that a lot has gone into, into getting the economy, you know, back on track. You know, quite a number of people uh, have, uh, you know, and, and I've heard this refrain a few times, that it seemed that the government has overplayed this COVID card. Uh, and then, you know, there's this um, joke, um, or, or, yeah, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's something you see on social media where people say everything, they blame it on COVID. Everything is blamed on now the Ukraine-Russia uh, war. Um, what do you make of, of that assertion, that government 
overplayed or overplayed the hand that, you know, Charlie, COVID was the problem and that's why we are where we are and all that. No, but, you know, some facts are facts. I mean, facts are not propaganda. You cannot play with facts. I mean, the facts are, are that the COVID really affected our, our coffers as an economy. You can imagine if you're talking about 17.7 billion Ghana cities, do you know what that money could do for us as a nation? For me, I personally, I can tell you what it would do for me and I can exactly. extrapolate so, what it would do yeah, for the nation. <laughs> and, and it's also a fact that the situation in Russia and Ukraine is having a serious toll on us. When you have about 30% of your wheat flour you know, coming from Russia and that country is invading other countries and it's also affecting their importation and exports business. Obviously, it's going to affect you. Mm. When you have about 60%, listen, a chunk 50% of your iron rods or roofing sheets or metal sheets coming from Ukraine, the country that is being bombed, look at the, all these constructions going on all over the country. And they are telling you that, you know, where 60% of where the raw material, in fact, the materials are coming from mm. is it, it, in serious crisis and they are not doing the export again and so it means that it's not going to work for you obviously there is going to be an effect on your economy mm. so these are the indices these are the indications that that shows that government is not just plain i don't think it is in the interest of the man that i know the president Kufuado that i know mm -hmm. who is very committed when it comes to accountability or sit for anybody at all to play with those things. It, it, it's really not happening in one way or the other. It's definitely yeah. not going to happen. Thank you for listening to Assassi Podcast. Follow Assassi Radio on Twitter at Assassi Radio 995 or share your feedback via feedback at assassiradio.com.